please give a nice welcome to Ted Branshaw. All right. Well, I think before we enter or begin with the word, let's begin with some prayer. Jesus is the word. You can't separate his name. I'm just going to throw this over here. You can't separate his name from what he is, from what he does. If he's Jehovah Jireh, what's your name, Jehovah Jireh? What do you do? I provide. What are you made up of? Provision. Jehovah Rapha. My God, my healer. What do you do? I heal. What are you made up of? Healing. You can't separate God from his word. He is his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You can't separate them. So we're about to enter into a very holy place. And our prayer is that we will hear the voice of God so much louder than the voice of man and that he would be glorified. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful of your great grace, your willingness, your desire to call us sons and daughters in your house joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Lord, as we enter into this word, we don't enter in lightly, but we enter in, Lord, like Isaiah with trembling and fear and we recognize as we see ourselves in light of the word like Isaiah we recognize that we are an unclean one living among unclean people with unclean lips and we should expect nothing from you but your wrath but because of your great love and because of the sacrifice of Christ and because of the Spirit of God who convicts and convinces and changes, we can enter in now to your gates with thanksgiving and with praise. And we can leave this place today in full expectation that as the word of God has gone out, it has accomplished the very thing that you set forth for it to do. It will hit its mark. Lord, I'm just dead. We need you, Lord. We need your spirit. Teach us. And change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every culture has its own uh, language. Uh, 
Um, my wife and I are from originally from Alpena, Michigan. We spent 10 years in Midland, Midland Bay City, Saginaw, and we were almost 17 years out in Iowa. <clears throat> and we noticed just going from here to Iowa that the culture changed and words changed. And we, we would just giggle and laugh because here in Michigan, I don't know how you do it on this side of the state, but we, we would go on hay rides. In Iowa, they go on hay rack rides. And when the stores, kitty corner, from the bank, we say kitty corner. They say caddy corner. So we would laugh. And instead of saying, well, you, you are so funny, they would just go, you are a hoot. <laughs> what a hoot. And we would laugh and just be in awe of just such a short distance, but such a, a difference in words and culture. Now you go across overseas, wow, you really see a difference in culture. We taught at a pastor's conference in Utica a few weeks ago, and there happened to be an Indian girl that was sitting in the, I didn't realize it when I first started talking, but I talked about my first trip to India and how they thought we were so gross because we sat on a toilet. They squat over theirs. I call them squatty potties. They use their hands to cleanse themselves. We use toilet paper. They think that's gross because we're just smearing it around. <laughs> so they have a personal hand, which is their left hand, and then they have their functional hand, which is their right hand. They have rats. They have curry. And I was just kind of going through my list of the things that just freaked me out in India my first time there and how I said I'd never go back, but I've been there now six times, and I'm just addicted to it. I've got to go back and back and back. And it's not to say that what they're doing is wrong. It's just a different culture. It's a different speak. And children over there call you uncle. They address you as uncle. Hello, uncle. How are you, uncle? You see men walking down the street hand in hand arm in arm. The first time I saw that, my eyes widened and my host went, mm, not like you think. They're just friends. They're buddies, companions, culture. It's different. In the internet world, boy, you got to try and keep up with some of the things. We can probably easily go, uh, PTL would mean what? Praise the Lord, LOL, laugh out loud, um, R-O-T-F-L would be what? Rolling on the floor laughing. See, some of you are going, what is he talking about? So we have all of these, this language that goes with certain sets and sects of of culture. And do you know that even in the church we have our own language? Um, in the normal world out there, 
or in the world, and I guess this is normal, in the world, if you said born again, you know, most people wouldn't know what you were talking about. But we say born again. Well, are you born again? Well, I'm born, but I don't understand again. That's our own language. We know what we're talking about. Filled with the Spirit. Yeah. A lot of people would never have a clue what you were talking about. It's a whole different whole different thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We know right when to say the right things at the right time because this is our culture. This is what we know. This is what we've learned. This is what we're used to. We talk about the church, and most of the time, even though we know we're the church, we still think this is the church, and it's not. This is not the church. In fact, I always laugh when I see, I guess laugh is a bad word, but it always makes me wonder when I see churches across the street from each other, big churches, and think, do they all serve a different God? Is there a different God in each of those churches that they can't come together and be one church? My friend from India came to us one time in Iowa and he said, where are the buses? I said, we don't use buses here. How do people get to church? I said, they drive. Well, your church is out in the country. How do they get there? Do the people that don't have cars? I said, well, most everyone does. And I said, some people come from 30, 60, 70 miles away. Why are there no churches in their area? Is there no church there that they can go to? See, we're, we're a bit selective. And we, we tend to gravitate to what is pleasing to me, what meets my needs, what, is, what, do, what do I like? When we go back to Alpena this afternoon, we're going to go through Grayling and, oh boy, all those nice restaurants in Grayling. And we get to pick one of them that we don't have in Alpena. And we get to go to it. And we're probably going to go to one that we know has food that we like at a price that we can afford in an atmosphere that we enjoy with ample parking and a friendly, pleasant staff. Do you know that that's how some people pick out a church? Because just like my eating experience is about me, people make church about them. And do you know that your very existence isn't even about you? God created you. As a display of his glory, God does not exist for us. We exist for him. First question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our purpose, to glorify God. That's that's why we're here. And it's too bad that we get caught in these things that become about us and about self and, and our words and our language. Vicki and I were talking on the way over today, you know, just 
kind of bemoaning our own judgmentalness at times. You know, I go to churches where this lady over here with the banners, oh man, that's like nothing compared to some of the churches I've been to in Africa. You want rolling on the floor. I've been to them. But I sense the same spirit. The church I attend right now is a congregational church. It starts at 10, it ends at 11. And we, we don't sing songs like this, we sing hymns. And the preacher doesn't preach for as long as I'm going to preach today, he preaches for 20 minutes. And then it's done. But the same spirit of God abides there. Same spirit. It's not a different one. So when we talk about Christianese or Christian words, if I was to say to you the word revival, what does that automatically bring to mind? They're having a revival down the road. What is that? What's, what's happening? Well, most of us, when we think of revival, we think of miracles and prophecy and signs and wonders and laughter and people falling down under the power of God. What, what does revival look like to you? If there was a big name speaker down here at whatever this place is close by where they have the, the concerts, Castle Farms, if there's a, a big name speaker down there, I bet there wouldn't be parking enough. You know, if there was somebody that you believed who just walked in the power of God. But yet, we know that those things don't even really prove that God is in the meeting. Not if we believe Matthew 7, 21, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? We did all those things in your name. We're okay, right? He says, I never even knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So you can't take and say revival is all of these massive happenings. And we're always trying to pinpoint revival where there's a, a revival in Florida or there's a revival in Missouri and I heard revival is breaking out in, in Toronto and there, we want to pinpoint it so we can be drawn to it but what we're mostly drawn to is not the spirit of God, is not the true target of the church which is Jesus Christ. What we're drawn to are the miracles and the wonders and the signs. And the reason I say all this about languages and talking about revival is as I talk to you this morning, I don't want when I say things for you to automatically say, I know what he means, because you don't. Or you may not. And I don't want you to just blow it off because, oh, I know what that means. No, you don't, not necessarily. Listen all the way through. Let the Spirit of God, if you hold to a perceived, preconceived notion of revival, you, may, you, you actually may miss or fall for deception. Do you understand that? Do you know how important that is? 
These people in Matthew 7, 21 were totally deceived. They thought they were okay with God. If you'd asked them 30 seconds before they stood before Jesus Christ, are you going to heaven? They'd have said, sure, look at us. We're casting out devils, doing miracles, prophesying, and we're doing it all in his name. We're okay. Man, were they in for a surprise. Or how about those sheep and goats? You can't tell me those goats weren't surprised. Lord, when? Wait a minute. Wait, wait. We don't understand. When did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When were you in prison? Wait, 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 wait. He says, it's too late. Or in Matthew 7, 21, he says, one version says, and now I tell you plainly, depart from me. I never knew you. And that part always bothers me because that tells me he's trying to tell us now, but we don't listen. And now I tell you plainly, you are standing before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great and glorious God, the judge of all the universe, and there's no place for you to hide. There's no song for you to hide behind. There's no work project for you to hide behind. There's no alcohol. There's no drugs. There's no playing church. And he says, and now I tell you plainly. In other words, you can't get out of here. I have your full attention. These people in Matthew 7, 21 they, they thought they were good. And yet we know that Satan masquerades as what? An angel of light. My question is, would you know the difference? Would I know the difference? I think one of the things that is terribly lacking in the church of today is just discernment. Just discernment. I remember, there, I not, won't mention his name, but there was a big deal that went on in Florida and some, one of the elders in our church said, you've got to come to my house. I have the channel. You can watch this. You can also watch it on your computer. I said, okay, I'll watch it on the computer. I watched it for five minutes and I said, that is not God. He said, oh, oh man, I made people mad. Oh, yes, it is. Look. I said, listen, I watched that guy five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes. I never heard the name Jesus once. And yet my Bible says that in all things Christ should have preeminence. Friends, we are living in a time that, to me, I will t- I'll just tell you, from me, it is so frightening There are things coming down the road that are going to rock this world, that are going to rock the United States. And our pastor goes, isn't that exciting? And I go, no, it scares the life out of me. You know why? Because in the end, the Bible speaks more of a great falling away than it does a great revival. Do you know that 95%, at least that's the number I've heard, 95% of those that call themselves Christians have never shared their faith in Jesus Christ. We watch these guys get their heads cut off on the other side of the world, and we go, yes, they did not deny Christ. Good for them. 
Well, read the part of the verse that comes before that. If you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. When was the last time you confessed Jesus? When was that? And if you didn't confess Jesus, why should he confess you? I was in a minister's meeting not long ago, and we were talking about discipleship. And people's willingness to share Christ and to make disciples. And when it was my turn to talk, I said, you know, before this meeting started, you talked about your new camper and you took it to the fairgrounds. And you like to camp at Aloha State Park. And you like to go to Hef State Park. And you don't even like camping. I like to go 80 miles north of the Sioux to King Canada. And all of us were very eager to share the passions or not that we had for camping. People share about what they know, what they love. When was the last time that your passion for Jesus would not allow you to keep your mouth shut? You had to tell somebody. I I don't say these things to condemn you. I deal with this stuff every day in my own life. When I'm faced with an opportunity to share the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 3, it says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Do you know, I was reading this this morning before I got in the car, and I told my wife, look at this. It says, in accordance with... With how Satan works, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. That means he's going to keep doing what he always does, which means he is already doing what he's going to do. So what does that look like? He'll use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Hey, I'm not against signs and wonders. I love signs and wonders. God, I've seen God do amazing things. I prayed for a little girl once who got her, she was totally stone deaf. And she got her hearing. That was the second night I prayed First night, her mother threw grass in the air and sand and dirt because she didn't get her miracle. The second night, I saw the little girl come, and, and I went, oh, no, not my line. I can't handle it if she doesn't get her miracle again. So I prayed a quick little prayer. The little girl could hear. On my way to get my Bible, I said, Lord, what was that all about? You could have healed her last night. He said, I wanted you to see that it wasn't you. It was me that did that. You didn't even want to come to this meeting tonight. And I didn't because I wasn't speaking. I was teaching the next day to the pastors. And I was sick. So I like signs and wonders. I like watching God move. But I don't think we should chase signs and wonders. They're supposed to chase us. Signs follow those that believe. Hey, 
you guys get out of here. Would you stop following me? They follow those that believe. We don't have to chase them. Hey, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, would you do this? If we pray long enough and hard enough and say, Jesus, in the longest way possible, then we'll get our miracle. No, they're supposed to chase us. The founders of the world's religions have made a lot of different claims. I've found the way, I've seen the way. Maybe some have said, God has even shown me the way. Or I can tell you the way, but only Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to think of Adam for a minute. In this, everybody, if I say Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, we think maybe Adam was created on Saturday, and by Thursday afternoon they already had eaten from the apple. I mean, it was just like, it's a story, it happens, it happened, and, and we have no concept. Some Bible scholars, don't ask me how they come to it, but I've heard some people say as long as a generation, 40 years they were in the Garden before they sinned. I don't know if it was a week. I don't know if it was 40 years. But I want you to think about what their life was like when they were in the garden. What was so great about Adam's existence there? Well, there was no sin. There was no shame. There couldn't have been any fear. No guilt. Eden is called the Garden of Delight. The Garden of Eden actually means the Garden of Delight. Well, that'd be a cool place to live. Where do you live? I live in the Garden of Delight. I live over there. I can eat from any tree in the garden. Adam had no need. Wouldn't that be a great place to live? Yeah, but none of those things make Eden, Eden. None of those things were the prize. None of those things were the best part about living in the Garden of Eden. We think of Adam at creation, we mostly think that image and likeness, image and likeness speaks to form. No, it does not. There was more do you know what made Edom, Eden a cool place to live? He walked with God. Can you imagine? He walked with God in the cool of the garden. Maybe they were, maybe, maybe it's in India. They're holding hands. He walked with God. He was one with God. He had the mind of God. He had the presence of the Lord. Do you know there's fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord? Do you know I don't care what I eat if I get to do all that? See, we, we, we make Christianity about what's in it for us. I, I, I want you to listen. I tried to describe it. I just started writing out words to try to describe what Adam would have experienced in the garden. 
And, and so just, if you have to, close your eyes. Don't let the person next to you disrupt you. But try to get a picture of this in your head. What made Eden the garden of delight was this. It was Adam's possession, immersion, oneness, unity, harmony, accord, singleness, coherence, solidarity, and togetherness with and to the essence, the person and reality of the almighty, all-knowing, omnipresent, sovereign, and ruler of all that was or would ever be. Can you imagine that? I, I, I read about how Paul said, I went to the third heaven. I don't even have words to describe what I saw. And I got a little glimpse of that as I tried to describe what does Adam's life look like? What was it like? And to think that he had that kind of unity with God... It's amazing. He was one with the I am. Do you know that it's the same thing that makes heaven heaven? If when you think of heaven, you think of streets of gold and gates of pearl and mansions, you have missed what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus Christ. That's what makes heaven, heaven. Even when we talk about salvation here, we shouldn't do it simply in terms of forgiveness of sin or redemption from its penalty or deliverance from its power because none of that is salvation. It is the fruit of salvation. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He wanted to bring us back into that place of union with God. That's salvation. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the treasure hidden in a field. It doesn't say the guy was walking down the road and he saw a field and over there there were people getting healed and falling down and every time they touched a stone they began to prophesy so I went and I sold everything I had so I could get that field. No, he said there was a treasure there and it was hidden and not everybody saw it. In fact, I was hoping nobody got to it before I did. And he went and sold all that he had so that he could buy that field. Do you know it's the same way with our walk of salvation right now? Through this life, the way is broad and wide that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way. Small is the gate, the one that leads to life. Narrow is the way. That means in this life, people should see a difference between you and the guy that you work with. Because you're walking on a narrow way. When was the last time that we considered not only the holiness of God, but our holiness? He said, I'm holy, you be holy. You be that. There should be a difference in our lives, not because we make it up, 
Not because we live or adhere to a certain number of rules. That holiness should be there. Why? Because something changed on the inside of me. Something changed. Jesus came to reveal the Father, to make us one with him. He said, Father, I pray that they would be in us. So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Just like, Father, you're in me and I'm in you. I want them to be in us. He didn't say, I want them to prophesy. I want them to run around the room. I want them to speak in tongues. He said, I want them to be one. I tell people all the time, God will never allow your wife to be to you what God wants to be to you. Sometimes to say to a family, a mother, a father, God will never allow that child to be to you what he wants to be to you. He's a jealous God. He wants you to be consumed with him. When, when I was in Kenya, and this is, this is I'm going to tell you this, this is to my own fault. My wife and I have been married for 36 years. I know I don't look much older than that, but for 36 years. And we went steady in high school for three years before we got married. I am crazy about this girl. I watched her getting ready for, for church this morning. I kept looking at her and I kept saying, you are hot. You are hot. I'm not even going to ask her. I'm not even going to look at her right now because then it would be hot for me. But spending all that time together in life and ministry and raising kids, when I go overseas, I've got to talk to her. I have to talk to her every day, either by text or now because of Wi-Fi, I can talk to her by phone. But all the places that I go to don't always have Wi-Fi, or if you do, and the last place I was at, you had to go to this one area of the second floor and lean over the balcony just a bit so that you could catch the signal. But I went out there and did it. And we don't understand how blessed we are. Our electricity hardly ever goes off. Theirs goes off two or three or four times a day. And then I can't call Vicky, and I'm telling you, I am literally in a panic. Why? Because I need to talk to Vicky. I need to hear her voice. I need to tell her what we did today. I need to find out what she did today. I want to know that everything's okay. And then I think to myself, do you have that kind of a passion for prayer, for talking to God? And sometimes I wonder if she's an idol or I let her be an idol. I think I should love her and want to be with her all the ways that I described, but I think that I should want to be with God more. I'm convicted about that. I'm convicted about that. I should want him 
Jesus came to reveal the Father. And we, we think because we tell people the benefits of the gospel or warn them of the dangers of the gospel, of rejecting the gospel, that we've actually told them the gospel. And that's not true. We haven't told them the gospel. It hasn't, we, we didn't tell them yet. Because Jesus is the gospel. The good news is we get to be one with the Father. We get to be one with Jesus. And that regardless of whether or not we live on the edge of the gates of hell or not. Man, if you got Jesus, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. When I go to, when I was in Kenya, and you can go if you're a Facebook friend, then you can see there's this little picture I put on there of these two little boys, and they got their arms around each other, and they're smiling, and they're so happy, and they're so dirty, and they're so short, and, and it just looks like they have no care in the world. But if I picked up that camera and showed you where they live, and what they put up with, it almost make you sick. We, we, we bought little loaves of bread for the church service that I preached at on a Sunday morning. And everybody got a little loaf of bread, about this big. And if there were extras, they could come up and get another one. And the pastor said, Ted, these people could eat five or six of these loaves. I said, no way, I can't even get through half of one. He said, yeah, but they don't know when they're going to eat next. And yet you'd have never known that during the service. As they worshipped and sang and danced with such exuberance and such joy. Why? Because they knew the master. They had hold of Jesus. Was at my son's church and the pastor mentioned a book called The Insanity of God. And I, I got my hackles up. I don't know where that word comes from, but I got my hackles up because he said the insanity of God. But whatever he said, I thought, I want to read that book. And I read it. And it's all about the persecuted church. And we almost when we read it, have to weep for our own apathy. To hear of a man who spends 10 years in prison, all because he won't stop preaching about Jesus. And he can get out any day he wants, just tell me you won't preach about Jesus. And every day they torture him and they hurt him and they break his bones and they take his joints out of place. And they serve his food with feces smeared on top of it. And he's there for 10 years. That means that his son that was 6 was now 16. His daughter that was 13 is now 23. But I will not deny my Christ. Though he slay me, Job said, yet will I praise him. Wow. I want to know that guy. I want to be that guy. 
I want to be him in these last days. We, we, we don't see revival in the land today because we don't see Jesus as the prize. Activity does not equal anointing. It's not the same thing. A bunch of rah-rah does not mean that God showed up. And how can you have revival if you don't have repentance? You have to have repentance. Which means that you have to see that you're a sinner. Go through the Beatitudes and realize that the Beatitudes are not this random group of sayings. But they're literally a stair step of the discipleship of a Christian. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that realize, I've got nothing. And I am nothing. And I can give nothing to make myself right with God. I am bankrupt. Blessed are those who mourn. Those are those who literally give voice to that. Not just a heart knowledge, but they give voice to it. Oh, God. Blessed are the meek, those that are the humble, those that fall at the altar because there's no place else for them to go. There's no place to get to heaven. No way there. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I think, is that me? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Like the deer panting for the water? You know, we sing the song, but do we understand what it means? That's why I think in these last days, this is so important. Because if you don't understand this now, when the heat comes... And I'm telling you, it will come. You won't stand. No, I'm okay. All right, I have a verse for you. Let him who thinks he stands beware, lest he fall. Don't be that guy. Don't, don't be that guy. I have a friend of mine who pastored in Canada and now lives in Oklahoma. He said it's literally against the law to mention the word homosexual in an, in an unfriendly way from the pulpit. You can go to jail for it. How long before America follows that? How long before America is overrun like Europe is being overrun right now? And none of those things should scare us. Man, we're the chosen. We're the children of God. We're the redeemed of the Lord. And you know you're the redeemed of the Lord if you say so. I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. I'm talking to you about a, a salvation that came, comes out of your heart. Why do we worship? We worship because we have this inward revelation that becomes this outward demonstration. I can't hold it back. If you don't have a clue of what I'm talking about, would you please see this man after church and say, lead me to Jesus. I want to know that Jesus. 
I don't know if I could take 10 years in prison with feces on my breakfast without denying Christ. My first time in the Philippines, I stood up in the mountains and I had my pretty church clothes on and my nice dress shoes on and I stood in their pulpit and I saw this mangy, ugly-looking dog walk right in down the aisle and nobody even noticed him. He laid down there. And I looked at these people and before I had a chance to engage my head, my mouth went off. And I said, you are some of the richest people I have ever seen in my life. As I stood there in my American clothes with my nice tie. And, my, and I wonder sometimes, it's like, what did you just say? Are these people going to understand the richness that you're talking about? You don't even understand the richness you're talking about. But they had something that I could only say, I want that. We, we, have, we, we, we don't have, I, I really do expect, even though I believe that there's going to be a great falling away. And, and I think the election of our last major leader in the country four years ago, when that happened, I said, I, I'm telling you, judgment has just come to America. Watch what happens over the next four years. But you know, you can't say, well, we Christians, we didn't mobilize enough. No. Hebrew, or uh, Romans 13.1, all authority is of God and every authority that exists is appointed by God. The only reason that guy's there is because God appointed him. And he may very well have appointed him for our judgment. Oh, God wouldn't do that. No, he wouldn't drown the whole world and save eight or ten people. No, he wouldn't open up the ground and swallow a whole family and their tents and belongings and stuff. He wouldn't go through the camp and kill all the firstborn. God wouldn't do something like that. He wouldn't send the Chaldeans in with their horses that are swifter than leopards and their, their warriors fiercer than night wolves and Habakkuk to bring judgment on the children of Israel because they had forgotten God. Do we think more about the pizza party we have on Wednesday than on telling the person across from us, you need Jesus? My God, you need Jesus. Are you willing? I, I'm going to tell you, in just wrapping things up, two reasons that we don't see revival right now. Number one, people don't understand their true calling. I'm going to tell you what your calling is. Here's your calling. Jesus said, they, they asked Jesus, Jesus, just, just cut right to us. Tell us what's most important. Just, just tell us. This is what's most important. We'll do that. Make it simple so we can understand, okay? He said, okay. Here it is now. Here's your call. Somebody comes to me and says, I don't know what I'm called to do. I say, oh man, I got that one. I can help you. I know the answer. It's like two plus two. Four. So what is the thing you're called to do? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's all God wants from you. A really smart pastor one time said, Ted, when you get to heaven, God is not going to ask you how many countries you visited, how many people went to your church, or how many radio broadcasts you did. What he's going to ask you is, did you love my son? That's what he's going to ask. So that's your first calling. But you know what? As part of the body of Christ, God has given us. Now we are the church. Adam displayed the glory of God. We don't see that glory again until Adam, or until Jesus came, the second Adam, who was the visible image of the invisible God. Now Jesus has gone away, and 2 Corinthians 12 says, Now, guess what? You are the body of Christ. And what I'm saying is, members in particular, you're not in this alone. You're part of something bigger than you. It's not all about you. Hey, what's, what's your name? Lawrence, come here, Lawrence. Will you do something for me? You ever build anything? Tried. You've tried. Take that nail and drive it right into that board. Would you do that for me? See, when you learn to love the Lord your God with all... Come, Lawrence, come on. You're a big boy. You're old enough. You should know how to do that. When you learn to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. No, no, no. No, I, I, no. What's your problem? Why can't you drive... That's not a hammer. Why can't you drive that? Oh, I see. He's not equipped. God gave the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for what? For the equipping. I, I see what you need is some equipment. There you are. Now go ahead and get right after it. There you go. Thank you. Give him a hand clap. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know how many people in my lifetime I've I've talked to or told children's workers to talk to. And they'd say, we need workers, we need workers, we need workers. I said, well, just go ask somebody. You know what I used to do? I used to run the publications department in a big ministry. And when I needed staff or needed people, volunteers, and, and the pastor would be up there and I'd be worshiping, and he'd say, everybody close your eyes and worship the Lord. And I would open my eyes and turn on and go like this. And I'd watch for God to just kind of point somebody out, you. And I'd go ask him and I'd say, have you ever thought about working in publications, helping with things there? Yeah, but uh, I didn't think there was anything there I could really do. Well, come on. I'll, I'll teach you. I'll equip you. And the things that makes you qualified is I know you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So you're qualified. Let me equip you. I was so happy there were cookies out in the entryway this morning before church. You know, I had to leave my house before 8 o'clock. I got up at 6, which was 7 yesterday, but still it was 6. I had a piece of toast. When I got here, I was hungry. I was so glad there was coffee and cookies out there. 
Lawrence's wife says, you don't even know what my ministry is. I said, yes, I do. (laughs) And it's an important ministry. It was important to me. It encouraged me. It gave me the sugar rush that I have right now to preach to you. (laughs) So number one, we don't take up our equipment. We see things around the church, uh, um, Bible studies. Do you think pastor has Wednesday night service just because, you know, he's bored? I'm hoping that pastor does that. I don't even know if you have a Wednesday night service. I'm hoping that he does that because God, who is the head of the church, directed the pastor to teach the people. God gave the invitation through your pastor and you didn't show up. You're standing there with a hand, with a nail and a board and going, what do I do now? Why won't God move? Come and get your equipping. Come get it. And that's one reason that we don't have revival. Is people haven't taken their place. Every joint supplies. I've told the story here before about telling the pastors, I'm going to receive an offering. When the buckets go by, at the bottom will be razor blades, knives, and scissors. This was in Uganda. I said, please remove from your body any part you're willing to do without and put it in the bucket. We'll gather them all up front. And they went, Mzungu, white man, crazy Mzungu. I said, you know what, I got a feeling the bucket will come back empty. You know why? Because there's no part of your body that you're willing to do without. And even if you're willing to do without it, you're not willing to go through the pain of separation. And if that's you, what do you think Jesus thinks about his body? Are there really any parts that he's willing to do without? And so... We come to church, and one of the reasons that we don't have revival is people don't take their place. The second edition of our book is just going to come out in the next month or so, if I get busy and do the stuff I'm supposed to do. But in Acts chapter 6, they had the coolest, greatest revival. One of the great revivals in the Bible happened in Acts chapter 6. You know why? Because seven guys started to wait tables. Give me a break. It wasn't all night prayer. It wasn't brother big name. It wasn't worship service continually. It wasn't prayer chains. It was seven guys who started feeding old ladies who were being missed in the daily distribution of the food. They took their place and Jesus says, yep, that looks like the body is whole. And he said, watch what I can do with a whole body. If I was an Olympic athlete, how far do you think I could be as an Olympiad if I had no feet? Or if my knees refused to work? Or my hands didn't show up? I couldn't. I want you to see how significant you are to the body. We're equipped for the works of service, Ephesians 4. What's the goal so that we'll be built up? What will we look like? We'll reach the unity of, uh, in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. We'll become mature. We'll look like Jesus. You say, what am I called to do? Do what's in front of you. 
Ministry happens where you're at with what you have within your reach. What can you do? This lady made cookies. She's my hero minister today. What's another reason? I think because these are the last days that the fulfillment of 2 Timothy 3 it has come. This warning was not to the world, it was to the church. 2 Timothy 3 is to the church. He said, Timothy, know this also in the last days. Perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers. And do you know that if you took that one pipe called lovers of self, out of that pukes all of those other 16 things. Lover of self. I was listening to a guy who made mention of this scripture, and he said, would, how could Paul have known that someday we would have a computer, and on that computer we would have a page dedicated to ourselves? Facebook. That has my pictures, with my sayings, with my news about me. And when I look, I look to see how many people liked it. I mean, when I heard him say that, my wife would be happy, but I, I was almost, I, I thought I should just cancel Facebook. But I communicate with a lot of pastors like that, but, but that's my excuse, but... We are lovers of ourselves. Now I want to tell you the scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Here, here's how important you are. Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you? Do you not realize that your body is the temple or that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now here's what we've done to that scripture. We've made it about you. You. What's your name? You, Jeannie, are the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's you, Jeannie. Except for that's not a singular you. It's a plural you. If I was speaking to this section and said, everybody, if I said to this section, I'm just speaking to you, the church. You can all go stand by the wall. Who did I talk to? Everybody. I talked to everybody. You go ahead and do this. Who? Jeannie? No, everybody. You are the body of Christ. And not until every part gets in his place does God then have an opportunity to do what he wants to do. So we've said, Jeannie, this is you, Jeannie. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Except for 
Jeannie's pretty useless unless we stick her in a wall someplace to make this beautiful building. But we've taught people and we've believed that somehow we ourselves, it's all about me, it's all about me, are the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's not about you. Unless this thing goes in the wall, nothing happens. Do you know how long it took for Solomon to build the temple? 20 years to build the temple and the palace. I looked it up last night. 20 years. So week after week after year after year, they made bricks, they made blocks, they put them in place. Everyone... Till at the end of 20 years, once the temple was complete, you know what happened? Solomon prayed and the fire of God fell down. But not while that brick was out in a pile waiting for its turn to be set in the wall. It had to be done first. Can you see that? On the day of Pentecost when there was 120 in the upper room, what happened? They were all in one accord. What happened? Fire fell. You want fire to fall? You want to see revival? Then don't make it about you. Go to your pastor and tell him, give me a hammer. Give me something to do. Let me be a part of this. I don't want to be the brick that's out of place that stops God from doing what he wants to do. Like in Acts chapter 6. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Every block in place. Three things I told you this morning. One, I told you what true salvation is. True salvation is focused on on the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. Salvation is not getting you to heaven. I have a counseling practice. I always ask people, they come for Christian counseling, and I say, you understand this is Christian counseling? Yes? Okay. Could you tell me what a Christian is? I always ask them. Well, they, you get to go to heaven, and um, you don't have to go to hell, and um, you can have a good life. I say, well, I've got a good life. Well, the Lord will heal your marriage. I said, my wife is crazy about me. But he'll, he'll, he'll increase your finances. I'm a millionaire. What do I care? Why do I want to be a Christian? Well, so you can get to heaven, you don't have to go to hell. I say, I see that. So you're telling me heaven is the goal. Oh. So if I told you that I wanted to get up on the roof of my house, that that was my goal, then I can't jump that high. There's no tree close enough that I can climb. So how would I get there? Oh, I'd have to use a ladder. So you're telling me Jesus is like a ladder to get you what you want. That is not salvation. That is not salvation. Heaven is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. 
Do you understand? We are responsible for this generation. That's us. We're responsible. And if we don't know Jesus ourselves, if we're not passionate about Jesus, if we don't take our place, oh, I just do something simple in the church. Anybody could do it, could set out cookies. It's not that important. It was important to me today. It was important to me. Last 60 miles, I thought about that. I wonder if they have cookies before or after church. I'm getting hungry. So you ask the Lord, Lord, where do I fit? I'm going to pray for you now. Father, help us to see that every one of us has fallen short of your glory. Every one of us has been a liar at one time or another. You break one of the commandments, you're guilty of all. Lord, we're a guilty people. And we have no hope. Our works will not get us to heaven. Our acts of kindness will not get us to heaven. We're not going to attain the unity of being one with Christ because we gave a lot of money in the bucket. Jesus, we want you. And we know we don't qualify because we're sinners. Give us Jesus. Give us yourself. Let the realization of how lost we are resonate to the very bottoms of our feet. And let us see you as the only hope. And Lord, with you as the only hope, we will repent and rejoice. And we'll hunger and thirst for that righteousness. And it'll so change our hearts, we'll have to tell somebody. And we'll endure whatever comes our way because God is with us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I, I ask you what a high privilege it is for Lawrence and his team this morning to pass buckets. Lord, I, I don't know Lawrence, but I suspect He's a sinner like the rest of us. Yet, Father, you trust him and those men with your offering. Lord, that is so amazing. You trusted his wife with the refreshments that morning. If you give a cup of water to a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. It's not a small thing, it's a big thing. Help us all, Lord. Come and sit at your feet. The feet of your man, Pastor Mike. Let each of us be equipped. And just like that brick, Lord, let each of us take our place in the wall. 
so that the fire of God can come down and consume the dross and bring men and women to repentance when they see that your body is one. You said, Father, I pray that they would be one even as you and I are one. You said the unsaved would see that and because they see that, they would be convicted of their own sin. Lord, build us into that wall. In Jesus' name. I suspect that I've preached longer than your pastor today, but if that's what you got out of today's message, I feel sorry for you. My heart breaks for you. If all you got out of the message was he preached too long, if you had to fight that off I feel sorry for you. Do you know in places where they don't have Bibles and comfortable chairs and seats, sometimes I'll go preach and I'll preach for two hours and I'll say, we're going to take a break now. No, no, no! Keep going. No, we should take a break for a little bit. No, just keep teaching, keep teaching. It's still daylight. I'm going to take a break right now. Okay. And then they still come and say, tell me, what does this mean? What does that mean? Would you wait a minute? Let me get a drink here. Don't you want that kind of hunger? I do. I do. God help us. We're it. I believe we're the generation that will see Jesus. I don't know about you, but that scares the life out of me. Sometimes I've tried to envision what it will be like to stand in front of God. And that scares me senseless. Oh, you shouldn't be afraid. No. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, you're in Christ. Yeah, I am. But right now I'm in this flesh. I'm not in the sweet by and by. I'm in the nasty here and now. And my flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And my flesh is thinking this is not a good idea to stand before the God that could burn you up with a word. We should think like that. And we should repent. I hope you didn't get what you expected this morning. I hope you got what God wanted. I hope your life has changed. I hope you catch fire and burn for the things of God. Stand to your feet, would you please?
Lift your hands up to heaven. And just tell the Lord, Lord, I want to be counted in that number. I want to be in that number. I want to be that person. I want to be willing. Lord, make me willing. Lord, even the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Make us willing, Lord. Please. Please, Lord. Make us willing. Touch our hearts. Jesus prayed the prayer, Father, I pray that the same spirit with which you loved me would be in them so that they can love me like you do. Lord, put that in us. Let us be a people that says whatever the cost, the price, the sacrifice, we want to be like you. Even when the preacher goes over. Lord, strike that religiosity at at its root. Tear it up. And let humble gospel workers Sons and daughters of the Most High God, report for duty. First at the altar. And then, Lord, our place in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother. Anybody else see themselves in anything that Ted said today? I do. Thank you, brother. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. Um, Let's pray. Thank you, God, for what you've laid out for us. Thank you, Lord, that what Ted has said, you have inspired. And part of that, Lord, is that Each of us is important. Each of us is important to you. Each of us is important to you, Lord. And what we do with what we've been given and what we know. And you've equipped us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us through your Spirit that you would inspire us in the places that we are to be the person that you need us to be. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us and your love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.